Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Dog Life with No Spoons. This is Renee Smith with Street Dog Rehab and Jade Johnson, owner of Charlie's Way Behavior Consulting. Here's your friendly reminder that if you're neurodivergent, you may want to listen at one and a half speed, and the podcast slides with more information and the sources can be found at either of our websites, streetdogrehab.com or charlieswayconsulting.com. You can also join the podcast Facebook group, Dog Life with No Spoons, to join in on the conversation. Look for the guides, and in the guides you'll see a post dedicated to each episode. And speaking of websites, for our announcements today, Renee got a new website, so you should all check it out because it looks great. Yeah, it does, because Jay's the one that made it. (laughs) (laughs) It I don't know if that's why it looks great, but it does turn out pretty well. came out really well. Today's topic is going to be on the effectiveness of enrichment for reptiles, kind of piggybacking off of the episode last week on the effectiveness of enrichment for dogs, just because my specialty in college was reptiles, and I think they're just super underappreciated and way more intelligent than people expect. So I wanted to give people some resources and tips for enriching their reptiles and also just uh, let a few more people in onto their unexpected intelligent level. Okay, so what's the difference between reptiles and, like, amphibians and, like, can you go back to high school science? I need, or maybe that's even elementary school. I need to know what what kind of categories. Like, reptiles can mean what? Snakes? Lizards? Tortoises? Turtles? Tortoises. So it's anything, I actually don't know what the technical mm-hmm. definition of is a reptile. I think I just sure, recognize okay. the term. <laughs> but... Yeah, snakes, reptiles, um, turtles, and tortoises. Whereas an amphibian is, it's a permeable Excellent. layer of skin, is what it is, which it allows them to transfer water easily, like it basically in and out of their bodies to keep themselves. Oh, okay. Hydrated. So that's a amphibian. Amphibian. Yes. So amphibians are like mm. salamanders, frogs, toads. Okay. Things like and so that. So reptiles are like a close cousin, but they're just slightly different. Yeah. Okay. Right. And they don't, like, um, an amphibian is not a reptile. And reptiles are not. They're okay. two okay. separate things. <laughs> um, I did actually work with a bunch of amphibians in college, though. I took care of a collection of 110 blue-spotted salamanders, I think is what they were called. And it was because a professor was doing research on their DNA because they were an all-female species that basically <laughs> stole sperm from closely related species. I remember so you telling me about this. <laughs> yes, it's so fascinating because when you told me, like it was one of the first times we met, you were talking about how like you got your degree in reptile enrichment. I was like, excuse me? What <laughs> does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my general degree is just biology, but all of the research that I did for the two years of the biology program was based around reptiles and reptile intelligence and enrichment. I was really lucky to have, there were two herpetologists that worked at the college, so I worked very closely with them. Um, So yeah, they study amphibians and reptiles. (laughs) (laughs) So both of them had, one of them had a smaller collection. She had a couple snakes and a couple tiger salamanders that I took care of. And then the other one was the larger collection of over a hundred of the blue spotted mm-hmm. salamanders. And they were so small. They were like the size really? of a pen cap. 
I had no idea. Very small. Very stressful. Always worried they were just going to lose <laughs> half a gram of weight and just like waste away. I was picturing away. the size of like an axolotl. This <laughs> is really small compared much to smaller. what I was picturing. <laughs> much, much smaller. That makes a big difference in what I was seeing. Even the tiger salamanders aren't quite as big as axolotls, I don't think, okay. or they're very similar in size. Oh, and when you say that they have intelligence, so like, I know there's tons of definitions for what kind of intelligence that can look like. Do you mean um, that they just, intelligence in like how they live or like they can do special tasks? You know, like we, our intelligence lets us use computers and do all of these things. Yeah, um, I think I have a broader definition of intelligence than Great. most people. Okay. <laughs> Just because, uh, like, most people and in the historical research literature, it's kind of been a very human-centric idea of what intelligence is. So we think of intelligence like tool use and um, being able to manipulate the environment. However, yeah. like, responding to training can be a measure of intelligence. Or a couple other like historical tests they've used like one is the self-recognition test in a mirror so if an animal can view themselves in a mirror and then if you apply like paint to their forehead if they then make some indication that they realize that there was some um alteration made to their self so with monkeys like they'll reach for it and touch it and i think dolphins also have indicated um, that they do recognize, like, something was done to their self. Mm. So that's an indication that we use. And again, I think that's kind of human-centric because humans can look in a mirror and be like, yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but self-awareness is generally thought to be, like, a measure of intelligence or at least, like, in some cases, even a prerequisite to intelligence. Like, you have to be self-aware in some manner to be intelligent. However, we may not know how to test for self-awareness in all animals like dogs don't really respond to the mirror test but they do respond if you do the same kind of test but with their scent so like if you take yeah. their scent and you make an alteration to it they will indicate that like they recognize something is different <clears throat> and it's not what they expected so a different indicator that they've used as well is the ability to learn socially so if an animal is able to watch another animal and learn from it, that's also thought to be sort of <clears throat> an evolutionary step in complexity of intelligence because it just requires so much processing and it requires memory and it requires like applying what you saw to a problem. Yeah, they did a they did a study for dogs, didn't they? There was like the gate and they watched another dog go through go around the fast way. And then the other dogs were exposed to it to see if they would try it. Oh, yeah. Um, so the gate is set up in a V shape and there's food yeah. on the other side. And if the dogs, the dogs will go the long way, usually, even if there's <laughs> a break in the fence, unless they see another dog or person using that break in the fence, <clears throat> which is an indication of social learning. And we see a lot of social learning in like elephants and dolphins because they learn a lot from their parents and from 
the herd that they're with. But they also were able to demonstrate that lizards have some ability to learn socially as well and to manipulate their environment. So there was one, the manipulating the environment, they just were like observing snakes in the wild hunt their prey and observing how they did it. So for people that aren't familiar with snakes that use thermosensory, so they literally just pick up heat signatures with specialized glands in their face. And so they kind of wanted to see like how the snakes were using it and how they navigated their environment. Like if they locked onto a heat signature, did they just strike straight toward it, even if there was something in their way? And what they found was the snakes were actually using their body to like push shrubbery out of the way to give them a clearer line of shot when they hmm. were hunting. So they so like preparing that. for the strike. <clears throat> right. And like manipulating the environment to set themselves up for success. Yeah. Okay. So they, they attributed that to a sort of intelligence. And the one that demonstrated social learning was a cool study done with bearded dragons. Hmm. And the setup was the bearded dragon was like on the left side and the food was on the right. And there was kind of like a gate or screen in the middle. And they trained the bearded dragon to push that screen over to the side <clears throat> with their feet. Screen? Like a like a little square piece of screen like off my window? What do you mean by screen? Uh, I can't remember specifically what they used for the study, but I know that the lizard could see the food on the other side. Okay, so it's like see-through of some kind. So they just needed to use their claws, basically reach out and slide it over so they could go around and access the food. Mm, okay. So they trained one to do this. Mm-hmm. And then they let the experimental group of lizards watch the trained lizard do this task, but didn't give them any training, just let them watch and then gave them the same task. And then the control lizards didn't get to watch, they just got the task. And none of the control lizards were able to figure it out at all. But the experimental ones that saw the other lizard open it, those ones were able to open it. Like 90% 90 of the group, I think, was able to open it. So they thought that was a fairly strong indicator that bearded dragons, at least, are able to learn socially, which is an indicator of intelligence. Okay, now, at the risk of sounding like an idiot, are there, like, wild bearded dragons that could they? catch these in the wild and go straight into this or these probably bred in captivity uh these are bred in captivity okay just making sure (laughs) (laughs) typically if it's used in research it is going to be easily accessible and captive bred okay Hmm. Uh, just for ease of studies (laughs) yeah that would make the easiest for sure so I was doing a lot of this studying on intelligence about the same time that I was getting into a lot of the ethics classes I was taking at a higher level. So thinking of reptile intelligence and like seeing the reptiles that I had um, just made me start thinking about like the ethicality of keeping them and their welfare in captivity because like when we think of dogs, we think about enriching At least I do. Think about enriching them all the time because I come from more of a zoo background Mm -hmm. where animals get enrichment all the time. And I was seeing like in the literature and the kind of zoo world not recommending much enrichment for reptiles. 
But they weren't recommending against it. They just weren't recommending any specific things. Like, they didn't know what to do. Right. And, like, it was just weird seeing no recommendation for it, really, in the literature and professional world. When in the hobby world, there was already people starting to train them and, like, introduce a lot of enrichment and kind of push for that in the bioactive, more complex environments. Um, So my senior project transitioned into sort of investigating why that was in the literature and why the literature on reptile enrichment was so conflicting. So when I was doing my senior project on figuring out like why the literature was so conflicting, like even within itself, like half the literature says, yes, it's effective. And like half the literature says it has no effect on reptiles. For my research that I was doing for this project, I read literally every paper I could get my hands on. For reptile enrichment <laughs> which at the time was only like seven or eight of them and that's not that all that word was done it was just the only ones I had access to yeah but still like I had access to hundreds of studies on mammal intelligence and enrichment like pages and pages all I could want but reptiles it was, it was seven whole studies <laughs> so it was it was good and half of them said, yes, it was effective for reptiles. And half of them literally said, no, it had no effect at all on reptiles. So it was pretty... And then one of them, it was seven. Because the odd one out, it said inconclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Helpful. Great. So <clears throat> um, it's important not to label any of it as like bad science. Like It's not that the studies were done wrong or bad or inconsiderately it's just that we all have different learning histories so I was personally involved with reptiles in a hobby aspect and a lot of these researchers aren't and a lot of there's not a lot of overlap I see this a lot with like the fish community and the reptile community there's a lot of cool stuff and observations being made in the hobby side that's not aware like the science isn't acknowledging at all possibly is not aware of (laughs) and there's a lot of like in the fish world uh, a lot of like kind of conservation efforts because there are really intense hobbyists that want to keep these fish breeds alive which may not be important in a larger scale like for general conservation efforts in the professional side but Anyway, so it's important not to label any of it as, like, bad science. Just we all have different learning histories and come at it from a different angle. Well, and, like, the first couple times the studies are done, all of the studies that come after it, they all improve off of the first one. Because the first one, you're just getting some stuff out there. You're just seeing what it is. Right. And then as it keeps building, it gets better and better. Right. Like, even getting a no, that wasn't effective, is still information about okay so right. maybe if we try it this way will it be right. effective yeah but i think a lot of the time or at least it has been slightly misinterpreted as reptiles aren't very intelligent is kind of the lens we're coming from and so we err on the side of oh well these studies have kind of indicated it's not effective so there's not a lot of people that strongly believe it is effective pushing for more research to indicate that it is Okay, so there's a 
group of people who are seeing the effects of enrichment and seeing that it is helping their lizards, this group of scientists who are trying to discover what kinds of enrichment are making the biggest impact, but some scientists don't spend a lot of time with reptiles, so they don't and they don't see as many things as the hobbyists do. Yeah, I think sometimes that is why the hobbyists progress more quickly in some areas. Because they do spend so much time with these animals, observing their behaviors, observing what improves it or doesn't improve the behaviors. And it just takes far longer to have those same recognitions in the literature. Yeah, okay, I get that. Cool. So are those the studies we're going to be looking at today? Yeah, the studies I have are, again, a mix of yes and no, and I wanted to talk a little bit about why some of the things they did in the study could lead to, could bias a study towards saying yes or no. Because that's really important, too, when you're considering scientific literature, there's always a bias coming from somewhere. Like, no matter what we do, we can't eliminate all bias, whether that's the learning history that we're going into it, that biases our interpretation of the data or the way that we even set up the study in the first place. There could be things that get missed in setting the study design up that lead to bias in the results. Like there is always bias that you should be considering the source of just saying, right. Where it's impossible it to come from no bias. Everybody has a bias because of what they know about the world. Right. There's a whole belief structure inside of everybody. Okay. So the first study I had to talk about today was one on green anoles and they're the like they're really common usually in like warm humid places i think they're in florida <laughs> I was about to say they're the little ones in florida that they like let them bite your nose and bite your ears and they'll hang off like earrings uh i'd probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're small and skinny they're super fast long yeah, tail they usually like the males have a piece of the little red under, thing at the bottom yeah under their neck they have yeah. a piece. Okay, they remind me of uh, Avatar. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. What I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very long, skinny, move really quickly, basically. Okay, yes. Okay, I know exactly what you're <clears throat> talking about. So those are another, they're pretty small, right? Yeah, because that makes it easy to study them if they're small. Oh, duh. Easy okay. to house. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy to feed. <laughs> So these researchers wanted to study the effect of what they called environmental in, what they called environmental provisioning on these lizards. So environmental provisioning is just another word for environmental enrichment. And the specific definition they used was modifying the captive environment by, for example, adding structures that could lead to an improvement in the biological functioning of the animals. So, like last week, we talked about their definition also just being an addition to the environment. Um, They are focusing on the addition to the environment rather than the behavioral effect that it has. Okay, so they are measuring less about how the animal behaves and more about the things that they're adding? At least it's the bias that their definition is bringing in. Okay. Is that it is just an addition to the environment provided, for example, by adding structures that could lead to an improvement in the biological functioning. Uh, So again, they don't have a very specific focus on like species appropriate enrichment or bringing out species 
appropriate behaviors. I was about to say, like, is it a little ladder and they have to climb up it to go on a platform to eat? You know? <laughs> the Well, the actual environmental provisioning that this study had, the control lizards basically had, well, they all had the same size of enclosure. So the enclosures all look the same for the 34 individuals. Same lighting, okay. heating, feeding. But the control lizards, they had one branch and two leaves. And the experimental lizards that got the environmental provisioning got two leaves and two branches. Okay. All right. So they all had at least one. They all had at least two leaves and a stick. No? Yeah, they all had... Well, the control lizards had the one stick and two leaves and then the okay. experimental lizards my mistake it was four leaves that they had they got double what the normal group got four oh, leaves okay. and two branches <laughs> oh okay they doubled everything on the other group yeah okay so what they did was they put the lizards in the enclosure for three weeks just kind of left them alone did the usual routine and then after the acclimatization period, they took samples of a couple different things. They did a behavior sample. They did an HL ratio, which is a measure of stress hormones in the blood. And then fecal corticosterone levels were taken before and after the acclimatization period. And color as well. So their change in color was noted. Because these were all things that they they thought would indicate a change in the lizard's welfare. Okay, so they gave the lizards no guidance. They did not teach them that it is an option to engage them. They just offered it in the environment to see what they would naturally do. One group had one amount, the other group had double that amount. Yes. And then they tested what their actual body chemistry was at the beginning. And then after they had finished getting through and knowing their new space yes so the okay. hl ratio is um we would expect that to decrease with an animal that is experiencing a decrease in stress so it's like kind of um not it's not a direct correlation to how much stress is going on but it can be used as an indicator Okay. And were they were they all like within normal ranges or was this set up were they all in heightened ranges like is it a number scale I'm guessing like ranges? Yeah, it is an it is a number readout that the okay. HL ratio gives. Um, yeah. So that's what they use for the statistical analysis. Okay. Beautiful. The duration of behavior was only noted for 10 minutes continuously. So they noted down all of the behaviors that were done and how long they were done for in 10 minutes. Okay. And they just <clears throat> strictly observed. They didn't add anything. It wasn't right after a feeding. It wasn't right after a shed. Did they shed? They do shed, but no, it wasn't mm -hmm. after any of those things. It was just after the three weeks was done. I uh, wanted to measure what just their baseline behavior was going about their 10 minutes. Okay. Got and it. then the color, they actually used like a fancy <laughs> um thing that like you can point at something and it gives you like a readout of what the actual nanometer color it is oh so, so where like it is the on little the little pipette thing. on the computer the pipette just... on the computer yeah <laughs> yeah 
pretty much but for real life <laughs> but for real life that's super cool so what they expected was that the lizards in the more complex environment would have lower hl ratios if it worked they would show less escape attempts if it worked they would have more vibrant color and their fecal corticosterone levels would be lower as well and the fecal corticosterone levels are just another correlation to stress in the animal as a physiological measure okay and what they found was that there was no significant difference in literally anything across (laughs) the two groups they were exactly the same before and after yeah there was just no significant variation between how the housing affected these measures of stress that they used okay however go ahead (laughs) they did only just give the animal like two more leaves and a stick (laughs) so like (laughs) i was about to ask like is it even state like sticks and leaves from their natural habitat like is it something that they would in the natural world use for eating or resting or anything like that? Um, it is, um, they use banana leaves. So Aww. the thought I think was to, uh, it definitely wasn't food, but as a place to hide, um, just in general, a more complex environment gives the animal more places and more ways in which to move. Mm. Um, so... That might have been their thought, but again, since their definition, there was no indication that they were looking for any species-specific kind of um, behaviors to bring out or really to, um, like, species-specific things to implement. Um, It would only be a guess that they were actually considering the differences that a more complex environment has beyond just it's a more complex environment. Oh, okay. They just literally wanted to say, here's a complex environment. How did, What does your body say about being in a complex environment? Nothing? Cool. Right. Okay. And that's not to say that environmental enrichment doesn't work. Right. It's just this very specific, <laughs> just giving the animal more leaves and sticks to make their habitat have more spots to be is not effective. Right. I was about to say, so they found that Sticks and leaves are not enriching for green lizards. <laughs> right. Not not like that, at least in those numbers. Those are not helpful. Right. And it's um, good to consider also like for bioactive enclosures versus sterile enclosures in mm-hmm. the hobby world. So sterile enclosure is typically just like paper towels, tile. Um, it could be dirt. But when the animal defecates then you clean it and usually have to use some sort of disinfectant and you're basically maintaining the cleanliness of it so it's called sterile enclosures whereas a bioactive enclosure has what i'd call like living dirt it has um, soil but it also has like the bacteria and fungi and microorganisms in the soil that are needed to actually break down the waste. So it's not a sterile enclosure because there is good bacteria going on. But if the enclosure is done correctly, then that environment is basically self-cleaning, quote unquote. It will break down the waste materials and it is not unhealthy for you or the animal. 
okay, so like my beta tank, then now that it's finally leveled off the substrate, the plants, it all kind of goes in a circle and balances itself out. Yeah, aquariums, if an aquarium is cycled, is a good example of a bioactive setup because the waste of the fish is processed by the bacteria and then the nitrates that are produced are processed by the plants. Yeah, and I had no idea until you told me, and that was after I killed, what, four betas? (laughs) I was so upset. It's okay. Most people, I feel, don't have any idea about cycling their tank. It's not common knowledge. (laughs) It's really not. Um... But going back to considering, like, sterile enclosures versus bioactive enclosures, like, with this kind of study that indicates that just in general a more complex environment may not lead to huge benefits, if you have limited resources, it may be more effective to focus on actually implementing enrichment pieces into a sterile environment rather than switching the animal over into a bioactive environment and then giving them enrichment. <clears throat> like my didn't make any sense. <laughs> like Try my, again. um, so like my sort of ethics tell me like if an animal is in my care, then I should be doing everything I can to give them the best welfare possible. So mm-hmm. when I started learning more about this and questioning the ethicality of how I was keeping my reptiles in captivity, I jumped and still have strong inclinations to them in a bioactive enclosure i feel like that would be the best welfare i could give them is to give them a a large bioactive enclosure however Mm -hmm. for their welfare it may actually be more beneficial like measurably to just give them enrichment in the enclosures that they already have and that would be a more effective use of my resources okay so it's kind of like um with dogs right any when you do a little change at the beginning it makes a big difference because it's new itself when you're doing enrichment with dogs so like anything is better than nothing well yes but also like this study is indicating that the complexity of the environment itself does not have large effects on the animal's welfare in these measurable ways i would not think that is a complex enough system to call it complex (laughs) I would not call that a complex environment. (laughs) I mean, there's not much different that's being added in a bioactive enclosure, though, when you think about it from a sterile enclosure. Like, a sterile enclosure, to me, is not, like, a box. It is not completely devoid of everything. Like, my bearded dragon has a sterile enclosure, but she still has ledges. She's got, like, a hammock thing. She's got a tree to climb on. It's not a tree, but something to climb on. (laughs) A bioactive enclosure would be a different substrate because it would be dirt instead of the tile that she's on, but it would still just be a couple more things to climb on. That's about it. (laughs) And maybe a couple more things to hide under. So it is kind of increasing the complexity of the environment in the same way that this study is. Okay. Which is just, this study was... A couple more things to climb on. <laughs> Does that help at all? The answer was not that they saw. Not in big ways. Not it may ways. help. A bioactive enclosure might help my bearded dragon specifically because she would have the opportunity to dig and burrow, which is something that she does in, well, she does, her species does in the mm-hmm. wild. <laughs> okay. But not because it's just in general a more complex environment. Right. It's the ability to do the specific needs of that 
So it would teaching an alley to tug. <laughs> right. So it would probably be more effective for me to just give her a dig box and like give her different enrichment in her current enclosure. Yeah. And use my resources for that rather than getting her a bioactive enclosure. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so this study was done with sterile enclosures though? Yes. Okay. So the next study I have here is about box turtles, and it also kind of supports that, like, an enriched- Okay, wait, no. Box turtles. Are we talking, like, the cute little ones that stay little forever, the snapping ones? Like, what is a box turtle? No, the snapping ones are snapping turtles. (laughs) Well, I didn't know if they were, like, a type of box turtle. Their shell kind of looks like a box with spikes. I don't know. Um, I'll put a picture in the presentation slides for anybody that wants to see them, but they- are the ones that like they have red eyes the are they like the common pet ones yeah they are pretty common as pets they stay pretty small they have a pretty high shell like it's pretty domed Mm -hmm. i'm looking at pictures of now they're like all spotted yeah they're really pretty and they they're super cute have red eyes okay i see them i understand (laughs) i know what we're talking about now great 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 So this one also kind of provides support for the idea, at least I think it does, that an enriched environment, just a more complex environment in general, is only helpful if it's allowing the animal to express species-specific behaviors, like the digging for the bearded dragon. Yes, Uh uh-huh. So in this study, they had 38 box turtles. They didn't provide a definition of what they considered enrichment. They just used the term enrichment, which is actually like an indication that enrichment is becoming more common in the literature. So it's just, mm. if you say enrichment, you don't have to provide a definition. It's just known. Enrichment this means an addition to the environment. Okay. However, they did also provide indication that they were coming from the lens of enrichment needs to be about species-specific behaviors because they identified in their like intro that Previous research indicates that wild box turtles spend a very, very large amount of their time just doing nothing. Literally just (laughs) stuck in a burrow under a log doing nothing. (laughs) So actually in captivity, we don't want to be encouraging them to do this and be more active and this and that. Like we want to encourage them to find something to hide under and do nothing. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So kind of how... When we do for dogs, we do it by breed almost. Like, what is the frustration you're looking for? And then we do those type of enrichment versus, like, just doing all of them. Like, they'll all be effective, but if you do specific ones, they will help more through the natural right. instinct. Yeah? Right. So, like, a dog, right. like the large guardian dogs, they right. dig themselves holes so they can be cool. So you can expect that digging enrichment for them is going to be very effective. Right. Uh, But with the box turtles, they housed them. Again, the control group was given a barren enclosure. So they had just paper towels on the bottom and a water dish. And that was it. And then the enriched turtles got two to three centimeters of mulch for Mm -hmm. substrate. They got a pile of shredded up newspaper or like construction paper. Mm Mm-hmm. With the idea that they could feel hidden under that. And then they got a flower pot cut in half 
to use as a hide. And okay. then a water dish. Okay, so like huge difference between the two enclosures. Yeah, a different substrate primarily and then an opportunity to be under something and hiding. Yeah. Okay. So what they recorded then was they did behavior recording and then they did body weight fecal corticosterone levels and the hl ratios again so they did both behavior and physiological measures of the effectiveness um so like last week or last episode with the dogs they only did behavioral measurements okay and like how big are these turtles like i know we said they were small but like are they we didn't they didn't do any of that with the green lizards why didn't they measure their why did they feel like the the weight was important to include for the turtles specifically you know uh, just again, different measures of welfare. Like there's so many. Weight can be considered one because if an animal is stressed, you can expect it to lose weight or stop eating and lose oh, weight. Okay. Yeah. Um, the behavior they were looking at: escaping, resting, moving, and ingesting were their categories. So, escaping, um, that's like a stress behavior. For this turtle in particular, moving is actually, we would consider a stress behavior because they spend so much time doing nothing. <laughs> right. That, like, if they're moving, they're either eating or stressed. Right. And, and usually then, it's both. Um, ingesting, so, like, eating or drinking water was the last one. Okay. Their recording of behavior was just pretty different as well. So the green anoles, they just did, like, ten minutes at the end mm-hmm. of three weeks. It was also after three weeks in this study, so they just let them, like, it stresses, in general, we think it stresses reptiles to move enclosures or move environments. So they have, like, an acclimatization period again. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, did they, what is, what was it like before for these turtles? But okay, so they all got moved into new enclosures, and that's what gets it Yeah. So three weeks later, they did the behavioral measures and Mm -hmm. the physiological measures and the behavior instead of just watching for 10 minutes they recorded continuously for six hours on two consecutive days so 12 hours total Mm -hmm. and they recorded how long each turtle spent escaping resting moving and ingesting the entire time okay so it's a much more i wouldn't say thorough but a much more comprehensive look at what their behavior was during a day they on 10 minutes right yeah it's a it's a bigger chunk of time to look for and especially because any movement is marked as something it's not like you have to classify from a bunch of different movements like "Mm, maybe that maybe that it's are they doing it yes or no (laughs) right the green and old one they did actually have like I think 20-some, or like 20 categories of figure, behavior yeah. they sorted it into. Right, and like that would be hard to do for that number of hours of footage. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? Well, for the anoles, they were only doing it for 10 minutes, so I suppose right. that's why they figured. Um, But since they were organizing into so many categories, like, you're right, that short of time could skew that data because it's so spread out. Right. But anyway, Hmm. turtles. (laughs) (laughs) What they found after the turtles were measured after the three weeks was there was a significant difference in the stress levels, the HL ratios, 
So it was significantly lower for the ones that had been housed in the enriched environment after mm-hmm. three weeks. And the turtles that were housed in the enriched environment for three weeks also had significantly less escape attempts during that 12 hours they were observed. So they spent more time resting, less time escaping. Okay. Okay. And when they say, I'm assuming it's a very specific behavior they do to escape, like go up to the top screen or something. Yeah. They had it classified as like repeatedly pushing head against the side of the enclosure or repeatedly scratching the side of the enclosure. Okay. Cool. Which is a common, common behavior in captive reptiles. Like it's escape attempts in glass surfing in reptiles is very common stereotypic behavior. Like there are reptiles that will sit there for hours. Right. I've heard you talking about that. Okay. So this is where it kind of stems from is it just, it's regular for them to have escape attempts, but the intensity and the frequency is different. Yeah. Like. In an ideal situation, the environment would be so reinforcing and meeting all of the needs that they would not spend any time trying to leave at the borders, trying to like go find elsewhere. Mm-hmm. However, that does kind of tie into like if the animal moves 20 miles every day, we can't really provide an enclosure big enough to completely eliminate that behavior. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, but that doesn't, <laughs> you can't do that. Right. That doesn't work. <laughs> But for as much as possible, like a decrease, we want as much of a decrease in pos- as possible and a decrease in escape attempts is generally an indicator the right direction. of better welfare. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you, the, yeah, the enriched enclosure, they had significantly lower stress levels and less escape attempts because they had a chance to burrow mm-hmm. or Probably because they had a chance to burrow. (laughs) And it was interesting. Also, the study did a preference test. So they set up a half and half enclosure that after the turtles spent their three weeks in their barren or enriched enclosures, Mm -hmm. they got um, a half and half one (laughs) where (laughs) half of it was just paper towels and then half of it was the mulch and the hide and then the water dish straddled the middle. (laughs) Okay. And they just observed, like, what they did and how long they spent in either side. Mm. It was really focused on how long they spent in either side. And the turtles spent 90 to 97% of their time in the enriched environment. (laughs) (laughs) I have a choice. (laughs) That's where I'm going. Thanks. (laughs) Right. Did they mark the escape attempts in the half and half? uh, No, no, it was just focused on. That'd be cool, too, though. Yeah, it would be interesting. Right, like if they're given the two choices. (laughs) Right, if they're like, well, those are my two choices, I'll just not try and escape at all. Like, I'd be curious to see what that would look like. Anyways, box turtles. Love enrichment. (laughs) Mulch and hides. Yeah, so I think if you have a box turtle and he doesn't have any hides, he really needs some hides. (laughs) That's the real practical piece that you can take from this. (laughs) Right. This is the science-y part that proved that giving them a hide actually makes them internally, biologically, show less. Right. They are better. Yeah. Okay. And it's fine if they spend most of their time doing nothing. Right. You want to encourage (laughs) them doing nothing. That would be the ideal setup. Okay. Okay. Aren't these the turtles that they like race? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't know they raced turtles. 
turtles. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's definitely turtle races. What? I don't go places and do things. I don't either. But, but you I still know about, about the turtle races. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a thing. Is it? Yeah, you have to Google it. I can't show you my screen. Yes, I can. We're on Zoom. Somewhere. I found it. Okay. Those look like box turtles, though. Um, yeah, I think maybe. Maybe these ones are kind of big. Might be oh, yeah. just small box turtles. Or there's some painted turtles. Okay. Yeah, they have racing turtles. <laughs> so, like, that is asking for them to just be super, super stressed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely stressed. <laughs> no more turtle races for box turtles. I, I highly doubt any turtle is real comfortable in that situation. <laughs> They're literally just built to, to hide. I was like, what about the painted turtles? Because they, they swim more, right? Yeah. They have to come on to land to eat, though. They can't eat in the water. Oh, okay. Or is it that they have to eat in the water? Those are the ones that I think have to eat in the water. I have no idea. Anyway, some turtles can't eat under the water and some of them have to. Huh. <laughs> Just because the way, like, the way they're swallowing works. Weird. Okay. Yeah, learned it at the zoo. <laughs> that is fascinating. Well, we're going to have to have a whole conversation about that. Like, put a pin in that conversation. I need to know. There's different types of swallowing that make different feeding requirements. I, we will have a whole podcast episode on it because I'm also an Thank expert you. on those thermal regular or thermosensing <clears throat> organs and <in> snakes. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. So excited to hear about those. Yes, please. It's really cool. They can detect changes in temperature as slight as 0. 0.003 degrees Celsius. What? From like meters away. What? That's terrifying. Yeah, and like the I <clears throat> the nerve like the function that makes the nerve fire is also just like <laughs> what? <laughs> and is it like the same amount in all snakes or are some better than others? Some are better than others. Okay. Cuz they have different facial structures and I was about to different... say how is it possible to sneak up on a snake then? Like <laughs> makes no sense now. They well they don't have like a three sixty radius. Oh, it's just what's in front of them. Well, just whatever radius their thermal sensing organ covers. They're all different. Oh, okay. We'll have to do an episode on that. Yep. <laughs> cool. So that Back was box to this turtles. Episodes. <laughs> don't raise box turtles. <laughs> uh, on to the leopard geckos. <laughs> this was a study like the one they did on the dogs, where they were like. What do they do with all sorts of enrichment? Which one might be the best? Okay. So. Leopard geckos. These are the little ones that are like, I have all over the place out here, right? They're like clear, maybe what? a little bit yellowish. The ones that hang out on your house? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, well, These ones don't climb. About. Oh. These are like really common in pet households. They have like the big tail. They're is that the one where small. the tail comes off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. kind of yellow. Yeah. You probably see them in the pet store. Yep, a bunch of times. And their yeah. tail regrows, right? They drop that and it like wiggles around like a... Yeah, and it looks gross when it regrows. <laughs> so crazy, but yeah, okay. Oh, that one has wings on it. Like it's a bat. Anyways. More like a dragon. So leopard geckos. Um, so this study 
did it a little bit differently. So they looked at the actual interaction with the enrichment rather than like the behavior effects afterward because they're actually putting things into the environment. They're not changing the environment in this, in this one. So they're adding okay. in the enrichment, kind of like how we think of enriching our dogs. We add something like a food toy. But they focused on actually checking the box of like, did the leopard geckos even interact with this thing? <laughs> right. Like the people that say, I give my dog a Kong every day. Okay. But does he ever lick it? No. Right, Stop like <laughs> giving him a Kong every day. Let's, let's problem solve. He might want something else to do. Right. So okay. this one had 16 individuals. So it was kind of, mm -hmm. again, like a pilot study. It's kind of low on the sample size. Okay. And they really didn't record any like stress levels or anything. It was just like, did they interact with the enrichment? And I guess they did record like, did it decrease abnormal repetitive behaviors or not? But I also didn't have access to this study. It's one that I still had the information from like in my notes and everything but i didn't have mm -hmm. all of the information because it's not generally accessible on the internet <laughs> unfortunately and frustratingly gotcha. frustratingly <laughs> but they things. sorted enrichment into like the Wait, five did they when they recorded an interaction did they record duration or type of like yeah, they, like, recorded how long they spent interacting with it during the observation period. Okay. Um, but they organized the enrichment into five different categories, which is, like, what I know to be the five common categories of enrichment. But as I have seen is not the categories of enrichment used in, like, general dog training. Yeah, when we first talked about that, you were like, yeah, it's this. I was like, yeah, I thought it was this. What are you talking about? You were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. We had to combine our definitions there, work through that one. <laughs> so they used thermal, feeding, olfactory, visual, and object. So like for other animals, thermal could be like tactile. So like providing a brush for big cats is... For cows. Like the big cows brushes for like cows. Brushes. Yeah, <laughs> where they like walk under and it spins on them almost like yeah. a car wash. <laughs> they okay. love those. That, okay, I'm pretty so sure that's... there is research indicating that those lower cows stress levels. So Love that. And <laughs> so that is equivalent to what they gave the leopard geckos in the thermal. Thermal. So it was like heat. Yeah. Like what was they the actual changed. thing? I think they gave them another, like they gave them a raised basking platform versus like just they gave two heights of a basking platform instead of just one. Oh, okay. Get more or less. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, they had more more opportunity to thermoregulate to exactly the temperature they wanted. Okay. Um, but okay. yeah, like those are to me like five general categories of enrichment. And then every other source I've looked at for dog training has quite a few more categories, so <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. They just recorded, like, did they interact with it and for how long? And they found, and I don't have the details, unfortunately, anymore of the exact parameters of mm -hmm. how they did the observations, but they 
found that the leper geckos did interact some with all of the types of nourishment. Okay. They interacted the most with the thermal and feeding. Okay. Which I feel is kind of... Obvious? What you might expect, considering (laughs) they're fairly food-driven lizards, so they're probably going to pursue food for as long as it's present. Right, those are the two things that are the most naturally reinforcing for that animal. Right, so... Of course, those are if those are on the <laughs> table. Like that's what they're gonna go for. <laughs> it's kind of like, of course, that's highly effective. The same as like, of course, just a branch and two leaves is not gonna be effective. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they found interestingly that none of the enrichment decreased any of the abnormal, abnormal repetitive behaviors that they had witnessed, which was the escape attempts. Hmm. And they also noted that leopard geckos responded very similar to carnivorous mammals to enrichment. So the kinds of enrichment that are effective for larger carnivorous mammals might be effective for leopard geckos. Oh. But they so didn't really they say like... what those things were. <laughs> okay. So they're feisty little geckos. But, like, on the hobby side, I have seen them, like, they like puzzles. Like, they will use, like, dog puzzle things and push things out of the way to get their food. Wow, okay. Which is something we see, like, making food more complex to access and require problem solving is something we see that's effective in general for large carnivorous mammals like cats and dogs. Yeah, they enjoy that. Okay. Neat. But it didn't decrease the abnormal repetitive behaviors? It did not. However, in general, I also have a criticism of reptile studies of not having large enough enclosures. Mm. So if the enclosure size is not large enough and that is the need that they're seeking to fulfill by expressing that repetitive behavior. Right. That's not going to be decreased probably by adding enrichment. Unless that enrichment is like adding platforms and things to climb on, maybe. Little tunnels to go somewhere else. <laughs> right. Just more square footage to traverse. Right. Okay. And Which when is... they so all of them already were displaying abnormal repetitive behavior, so they record the prior then? Like how many times in a day they bump their face on the glass? I don't know for this study. Oh, I don't have the details it. anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Rejected. <sighs> I just don't have the answers. <laughs> it's a really cool study, though. It makes Lev Greco sound super ferocious. They are right. a little... They're feisty. They'll scream. Will they really? Oh, the most high-pitched, like... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. If you've never heard a leopard gecko scream, you should definitely look it up. It is pretty okay. funny. Leopard gecko scream. Hmm. I know they drop their tails. That's all I knew. But damn, they scream too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but yeah, the adding extra levels to reptiles enclosure is, I think, also a really good um, sort of budget option for people looking to enrich their animals or help solve some glass serving surfing um 
That's what I did with my bearded dragon too. Like she has a platform that goes around the outside of the enclosure so she can like walk up a ramp and then go around the <laughs> outside so there's a little bit more room at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, they don't mind if it's like bigger would be better, but if you can't make it bigger, at least give them more things to go up and down on. If it might help, yeah. It Depending help. on why they are expressing the glass surfing. Right. If space is the issue, that might help. <laughs> okay, that makes sense, yeah. Alright, so we did three today. It was the green lizard. They did two leaves and sticks. <laughs> yeah. They leaves and sticks. They saw no changes after the after they had gotten comfortable in their new spaces. Um, then we did box turtles who mm -hmm. opted for the enrichment side if given a choice and should be promoting them doing nothing and hiding <laughs> <in> things. <laughs> yeah. We should not be promoting them running around. <laughs> um, and then leopard geckos scream. Um, they kick off their tails and they have like in the dog world, you'd call it high food drive. They will solve puzzles and work for their food. Yes. And they naturally wanted more of the food and heat source when given four choices. Yeah. And I should say, like, if you're, like you say, leopard geckos are food driven. Like if your leopard gecko is not fairly active, if your leopard gecko is fairly lethargic or you have a friend, I would love to help <laughs> problem solve <laughs> on those kinds of things because um, usually with just a couple adjustments to the lighting and heating, we can bring back sort of that liveliness to the animal because those are really essential things for it. And that information is not easily accessible in the literature or well, in the hobbyist side at all. No. It is it's not easy to find anywhere. out what kind of lights they need, no. what strength of lights they need. Correct. And just, yeah, it's not easily accessible. <laughs> no, no. And then I tried on the aquarium side and like everything I did, everything I thought was instinctive was wrong. <laughs> and then when I found solutions to things, I was like, I'm not going to bother. I'm going to research it on my own. It was wrong because I didn't know about the one thing. Like, yeah, aquariums are complex, very complex. Right. But these these reptiles are the same. I mean... Yeah, I mean, for as simple of a household pet they are advertised as, their care is extremely complex if you want to be doing it very well. Right. They're very hardy, at least some species, but <laughs> if you want to be doing it very well and actually see them expressing a lot of their behaviors, it is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. So, was there anything else about these studies you wanted to add on? I think that about sums it up. And on the next episode, which should be coming out about the 11th of, is it June already? Yes. Yeah. yeah We're going to be talking new. about the recent study that's been done on dog personality and genetics. So, if mm. you're involved in the dog world, mm. you've probably seen... If you, were, if you were on Facebook, you <laughs> probably have seen some media articles and some debate about a recent study done that a lot of the media articles say that just will have the headline that dog personality is not affected by genetics. <laughs> um, so there's there's a lot of 
general uproar. <laughs> in general, there's a lot of kerfuffle. Everybody so, has big feelings about it. <laughs> we're going to be talking a little bit about how to parse through that information, how to analyze how, like, the validity or, like, the credibility of a source and um, just in general talk about science and communication. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm super excited. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope we see you next time. Stay nerdy. Bye.